Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. the choir master according to Mithlaben, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Hill City. You guys can grab a seat. My name is Aaron Nelson, and I serve as the Salt Company director here at Hill City. Um, it is an honor to work for this church. I love this church with all my heart. Um, been here for three years, and actually, I got to celebrate a couple weeks ago my three-year anniversary with my wonderful wife Tatum. Um, we'll be we'll be hosting a marriage workshop soon. I'm just kidding. I literally know nothing about marriage. I'm pretty sure. Um, but no, we got to celebrate our three-year anniversary. It was a blast. Um, and as I was preparing for today. Um, I actually had a moment where I remembered a story from when we were dating that this morning I was working through and remembered. I actually have never told her this story, so today she's going to hear it for the first time too. Um, but when we were dating, we had been dating for about six months, um, and I was getting ready to go away for the summer to work for a conference. It's actually Christ and Youth. Our light company was just at CIY um, this past week, and so I was heading out to the West Coast for nine weeks to work for this organization. Um, and like I said, six months into dating, and y'all, I was in love. Like, I was in love, love. Like, blush when you asked me about it, love. Like, I was into this girl. Um, loved her with all my heart. But I had one reservation about her. And it was the fact that we hadn't had, like, a really serious disagreement yet. Like, if, if you know my wife, she's, like, the, the least ground-shaking person there is. And so I just didn't have a lot to get, like, super mad at her about um, and vice versa. I'm a really upsetting person, but she doesn't get upset easy. Um, but So I'm heading away for the summer, and I'm like, okay, something's got to come. Like some disagreement is on its way because nine weeks away from each other is a really long time. So I started trying to figure out, like, what are ways I can be proactive this summer, not reactive? And so I started asking some wise mentors, some wise friends. Um, I was 20 at the time, so I may have gotten some advice from Vogue on the Internet um, on how to do long-distance relationships. But here's what I decided to do. I wanted to make a list of things that I love about her so when I'm mad at her, I can remember, like, okay, here's why I'm with this person. All right, so I go on my phone. I get on my notes. I start writing some things down. She's kind. She's easy to love. She loves well. Um, she has the same vision for her life as me. So I write all these things out, lock my phone up, put it away. Don't think about it for the next eight weeks. I head to the West Coast. Um, we've been great all summer. My last week away, she, she does it. She, like, she makes me real mad. Um, and at the time, like, when you're working for this organization, you are busy. Amen, Ashley Opoven? Like, you are busy the whole week. It is crazy. 
Um, and so she actually made me mad, and I didn't have time to talk with her about it. So a day passes, so I'm going to talk to her. So th- things are festering. I'm just getting more and more mad. Um, the next morning comes, we still haven't got to talk about it, so I'm starting to believe just like untrue things. But she doesn't care. Um, she, you know, she, she's not upset about this. She, she doesn't understand. She's immature. All these things that are coming to my head. Lunchtime comes, and you know, things are still working, and finally I'm like, oh, hey, I wrote that note down at the beginning of summer. I pull it out, look at the title, things to remember when she makes me mad. I was like, hey, this is a great title for this note. So I start reading through them. She's kind. She's caring. She's easy to love. She loves well. She has the same vision for her life as me. Eight weeks is all it took for me to forget a lot of those things. I was really quick to forget all of the things about this girl I was head over heels for. So quick to forget. And I know I'm not the only one in here who has a short memory, right? Like, has anybody ever had, um, like, a bad experience with food? Like, Chinese. I remember when I was 12, um, I ate some Chinese, and it did not hit right, and I ended up vomiting all over my bed, just noodles and noodles. Oodles and noodles and noodles. And it was, like, a tragic thing. And for the, I love Chinese. I love me some yum yum bowl. If I'm desperate, I love Panda Express. I didn't eat Chinese for like the next eight months because of a bad experience. Forgot how much I love it. But we also do this with like really serious things too. Like I'm sure many of you in here relate. Hopefully, like I love what I do for my job. I'm passionate about it. There's nothing in the world I would rather do. I'd do it for free if I had to. I hope Michael Robinson doesn't hear that. But I love my job so much. And yet you put a stressful week in front of me. I'm tired. I can very easily forget how much I love my job. Kids, oh my gosh. I'm at the stage of life where my, my friends are starting to have kids. And I sit there and I'm like, I think it would be really easy to forget how big of a blessing kids are. <laughs> it would be really easy to forget that. Um, and all the parents said amen. No, but we are so quick to forget even things we're really passionate about. And I think a big reason behind that, a big reason why we forget is because we don't take the time to pause often enough and be thankful. To count what we have to be grateful for. And it doesn't just limit itself to things we experience. We're also often quick to forget things in relation to our creator. Forget the things that draw us to our creator. And that's where Psalm 9 is going to take us today. We're going to be talking about thankfulness, gratefulness, praise for the creator of the universe. So before we hop into Psalm 9, just some quick context. Um, Some see these psalms, Psalm 9 and 10, together. See them as one. Um, We look at other versions of the Bible, other translations. Um, It actually kind of makes an acrostic. You guys know what an acrostic is? Like, dad, do all diligently, like... Like an acrostic, that's how some versions um, make it out to be. There are a lot of similarities between Psalm 9 and 10 because of that. But ultimately there's enough differences between the two that um, I believe there are two different psalms that we are looking at. Um, but here's the thing about the first few verses. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 today. Here's the thing about these verses. They're of a, a national nature. Like a national nature, it's, 
it's not as much an individualistic psalm for like one individual to read. It's like for a people group to read together, to take, to do together. And so it's not on behalf of a specific person, but more on behalf of a specific people. And so as we hop in, um, let's start in verse one. It says, to the choir master, according to Muthlaban, a psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Thanks, this, this word thanks has actually a really wide range of meaning. We see this, this idea pop up a lot in the Psalms. Um, and it, it means things like to confess, to acknowledge. Um, but I think the way we are reading it today here is to praise. I will give praise to the Lord with all of my heart. As we know, when that says heart, it's not communicating an organ. It's communicating our inner being. I will praise the Lord with my whole inner being, my whole thought life, my whole emotional life, my whole spiritual life. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks. I think oftentimes for me, um, when I pray, this is a, if, I, if I do well at thanks, which I don't do great, I've taken time to just sit and thank God, oftentimes it's a thing that I do at the beginning of my prayer to then hop to the part when I start asking for things. Dear Lord, thanks for being cool. Now can you give me this, this, and this? Um, I, I think oftentimes, like this whole idea of, of wholeheartedly, I think oftentimes I come to the Lord with thanks. Um, like a five-year-old comes to his little brother with an apology. Um, I, I've watched kids, like you know, and the mom's like, hey, go apologize to Kyle. And the kid walks to Kyle, and he, he doesn't even look at Kyle. He looks at his mom as he says the apology. Sorry, Kyle, for hitting you in the head with the golf club. Like, and it's just so half-hearted. There's no genuineness in the apology. That, I think, often is how I approach God with thankfulness. It's half-hearted. It's ingenuine. And this, as we come and look at wholeheartedness, it reminds me of what we see in Matthew and Deuteronomy. The greatest commandment, many of us know it. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul. All of you. Every part of you. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, half heart is no heart. Half heart is no heart. We don't serve a God that asks for part of us in anything. And that extends to our thanks. And so as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking like, okay, I need to thank the Lord, cool. How, what does that look like? What does thankfulness look like? How do I do this in a God-honoring way? And in the, in the rest of the psalm, we're going to see two major ways that thanks presents itself. And that's through recounting and recognizing. So we see recounting in the second half of verse 1. It says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. This got after me when I was reading this. Um, the Lord really started to work on my heart and my lack of gratefulness for what he has done as I'm reading through this. Um, it reminds me a lot of Israel. Like, obviously, we are quick to forget here, but as we look back um, at the Old Testament and we consider Israel, like, this idea of forgetting presents itself throughout Scripture. Remember, God brought um, Israel out of Egypt. He, he delivered them from slavery, from shackles. And they get into the wilderness, and we see in Numbers that Israel 
actually ends up wishing to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to their shackles, back to their enslavement. Then we get to Deuteronomy. As, as, as the Lord is giving the greatest commandment, which I just read from Deuteronomy. And here's what he says to the Israelites, the people who, when they were wandering, forgot what God had done for them. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 6. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We're so quick to forget in that same text, he talks about all these different things they should do in order to not forget. And I think what the psalm is doing us, with us here is encouraging us, hey, don't forget, recount. Recount all it is that he has done. This idea of recounting, this word, um, it actually communicates to record or to take a census. To take a census. It's like a pretty detailed thing, right? It doesn't just remain high level. It gets into the details. When was the last time you looked at your life in detail and gave thanks for what God has provided? Not just the big things. We need to not forget about the big things. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for I have a house to live in. I have good friends who care about me. I have a church I love. But like in the details... God, thanks for allowing me to wake up this morning. Thanks for allowing me to drive to church safely this morning. A lot of those things, a lot of things are questionable when you look at other cultures. Like, is that going to be a reality? Are we able to come into the details? There's a song um, by Maverick City and Elevation called Million Little Mir Miracles. It goes miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. I can't even count them all. You ever take time to just pause and consider that our lives consist of millions of little miracles? And just to take the time to recount them. I love how the message translates this line I'm writing the book of your wonders. That's what I want my kids to say about me. Man, dad was constantly writing God's book of wonders, just all the things he did, his goodness. It's powerful. Helps us to not forget when we just take the time to remember, to slow down and think. So we see that thanks looks like recounting what he has provided. And as we head into verse 2, we see another form of thanks that takes place. Verse 2. I will be glad and exult or rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I, when I am thankful, I'm really good at being thankful for what he's done. And I think part of what David is calling us here to, though, is also to be just thankful for who he is. Who God is. We need to recognize, recount, and recognize who God is. He says, O Most High, I will sing praises to your name. That's who he is. That is who God is. Every Monday, um, the SALT staff starts our week off by having an hour of prayer. 
where we just take time to, to pause um, and start our week off approaching the throne before we go into our job. Um, and this past week before we started, because I was already in this, and I was feeling a lot of conviction for my lack of acknowledging who God was, I just told him, like, listen, I'm really good. I thank God for what he's done, but I want to have a posture of, of unlimited thankfulness for just who God is. Because he is so great, he is so grand that God just for himself, not for what he's done, is worth our praise. Every bit of it. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a little bit of time to just recognize who he is. I'm just going to go through a few, a few texts here. But just name some of the character traits of God so we can walk out of here today with a reminder of the God that we came here this morning to praise. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is a giver of good gifts. We're going to hop back into the Psalms. Psalm 116.5. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, our God, is merciful. He is gracious and compassionate. Another psalm, Psalm 68, 20, our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. He is a Savior. And finally, 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is creator. He's faithful, unchanging, and all-powerful. That is the God we serve. And Hill City, is that alone not worthy of all the days of our praise? He is worthy of our praise, and that is a God worth recognizing. Then we head into this next section, verses three through five. And this section was weird for me. Um, it felt out of place. I, I, I felt some confusion as I read through it. I was trying to figure out what David was talking about, where he was going. He's in the first two verses, he's talking about thankfulness. Um, and now he gets to this part where he's talking about God blotting people out forever. I felt some confusion entering into it. But here's what I came to realize as I read through these, is that I think what David is doing here is he's actually continuing his expression of thankfulness. He hasn't finished thanking. A couple of weeks ago, um, Trey talked about this idea of indignation. Knowing that justice, knowing um, that return is in God's hands. And I think we have a similar tone here. The tone of this part of the psalm, it feels like it's not our victory, it's God's victory. Like anything that happens for good, anything where we experience um, justice from God is actually not done because of us, it's done because of God. Like we listen to some of the terminology he uses, stumble before his presence, his. He maintains our just cause. He rebukes the nations. He has made the wicked perish. He has blotted out their names forever and ever. God is the one who brings the victory. He's the one who sits on the throne. And so I think part of what David is doing here is he is taking the time to recognize God's sovereignty. His supreme power, his ultimate authority. And David is stepping aside and thanking and acknowledging God for his sovereignty. It can be hard for me to be thankful for God's control sometimes. 
I really like to be the one in control of my life. Sometimes I think I can be a better God for myself than he can. Um, and so I like to be thankful for his faithfulness, his love, his patience, his compassion. Um, and sometimes I find it annoying that God's the one in control. And so I don't take the time to, to hone in and be thankful for that. But here's the reality. It's hard to be thankful when you think the reason behind good things happening in your life is due to you. Like when we don't take the time to acknowledge that God's hand is the one at work, not ours. It can be hard to remain thankful. We like to take credit for God's work a lot. I know I do. Listen, this church wants to plant two churches by 2026. It's three and a half years. And if three and a half years we look back and say, look what we did, we are foolish. We are fools. God's goodness, God's sovereignty, God's control is the only way in which that happens. We need to recognize and be thankful for God's authority. And so David takes time to shout praises for God's authority. God is the sovereign one. And we see in verse 6 as we finish how good it is that God's in control. Like it allows us to recognize that good things have happened because he's the one in control and not us. Verse 6 says, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out, the very memory of them has perished. Some people think um, that this psalm was wrote in light of David and Goliath. Um, we saw in the title this um, Muth Laban terminology. Um, some people say that means death of the son, which is referring to David conquering Goliath. So maybe David here is picturing Goliath as he writes this. Or if it's not in light of David and Goliath, maybe as the Israelites read this, um, they're picturing their victories over their enemies in the past. But here's what David, David wasn't picturing. He wasn't picturing the Messiah. The Israelites, as they read this, they weren't picturing Jesus of Nazareth. But see, as we read this today, we get to see how God has revealed himself over time. And now today, Hill City, we can recognize that Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension is what would eventually lead to all of that happening. Not just a, a victory over a specific foe, not just a victory over the, the people that they were at war with, but that Jesus would conquer evil. That evil would come to an everlasting ruin. That the demonic strongholds of the world would be rooted up. And that the name of Satan would eventually be no more. That's what we get to read in this psalm. We get to see how in God's sovereign plan, in his good plan, he has forever defeated evil. That's how we get to approach Psalm 9. And that is worthy of our praise, amen? But Aaron, those things still exist. Right, like evil still is out there. It hasn't come to an end. Demonic strongholds are still pre prevalent. Satan's name is still relevant. And that's the tension we get to live in. 
the already but not yet. And so where are we left? We are left to live in thankfulness, in gratefulness, in gratitude for the creator of the universe. Thankfulness for what he's done and the thankful that we know because he is faithful that he is going to finish it. One day Jesus will return. And it will be fully finished and verse 6 will be fully revealed to us. And here's been my prayer for myself as I've been preparing. And here's my prayer for us, Hill City. Is that every day we feel more overwhelmed by thankfulness than we did the day before. I had a hard time sleeping last night. And what I ended up doing, because of this text, trust me, I don't usually do this. Instead of like counting sheep or trying to find some way to fall asleep, I just sat there and started thanking God. And I want to just continue to be overwhelmed by a good God. Because like, what if, what if that's who we were? What if that's who Hill City was? Remember, this psalm isn't necessarily to an individual. Right? There's plenty of application that can be brought for the individual in this text. Like, we can apply a lot of what we're learning, but it's meant for a people group. That people group being the followers of Jesus, people who know and have decided and given their life to Jesus. And so it's supposed to be this sort of corporate thankfulness. What if that's how people saw Hill City? What if we were radically thankful? We went to the details. We recounted the details. We recognized who God was. Don't hear me. I'm not saying not radical optimism. It's different. Because not everything's good. Not everything is how it is meant to be. But a thankfulness as a result of a soul that is able to be content in God. I can't talk about thankfulness without talking about suffering. Because suffering is very real. I've, I've got to sit with a lot of people in this room to hear about their suffering, the grief, the hurt, the pain in this life. And being a follower of Jesus does not lessen that sense of suffering in life. But here's what I was reminded of as I read through this. A thankful heart and a grieving heart can coexist. A thankful heart and a grieving heart can coexist. And actually, it's when we can hold on to our grief and onto our gratefulness that often inspires to know Jesus more. That's a unique thing to followers of Jesus. We have a hope that is everlasting, that will not be stopped, that provides us a well that doesn't make sense, a living water that doesn't make sense to allow us to be grateful even in the midst of our deepest suffering and grief. If you're serving communion, you can go ahead and make your way forward and start getting set up. So, um, actually, 
in just a little while at the end of um, the gathering, actually some of my best friends, Trey and Toby Vile, um, are going to come up here and do an interview as they get ready to head to Italy. Um, and so on Friday night, Thursday night, we had a get-together where us and some of the guys just wanted to take some time to celebrate Trey um, and just love on him. We sat outside, smoked some cigars, drank some scotch, and just talked. Um, and as a, as a great going-away gift, what else better to talk about than grief? So we sat there, and one of our friends who was with us, um, his name's Elijah. They just started coming to church here recently, moved to Springfield recently. Um, he lost his mom to pancreatic cancer a couple years ago. And um, I've known Elijah for a long time, went to church together since we were kids, knew his mom well. She's one of the most inspiring Jesus followers I know. And after she got um, the results back that she had, um, I mean, a terminal cancer, after she got the results back and started working through it, um, our pastor asked her to come up and do an interview to just talk about what she was going through. And she comes up and she gets on stage and he's asking her these questions. Um, and so what I did, I remember this. I mean, this was an inspiring thing for me. I went back and I rewatched the video in preparation for today. Because I, I remember walking away from that thinking like, how is she still like that? So I went back, watched the video, and here's one of the questions that was asked. What's been your anchor? What's sustained you through this season? And this is a response from a woman who loves Jesus and just found out she's terminally ill. I wake up each new day and thank the Lord for that day. I live through the blessings of that day and just trust that he is in control of my family, my finances, my projects, and my pain. She finishes it with, he's in control of everything. I hear the thankfulness from someone who is in the pits of grief, a family in the pits of grief. So Hill City, as we take communion today, as we go to these stations around the room and we get to dip the, the bread in the juice and recognize the, the blood that the sovereign God allowed his son to shed and the body that he allowed to be broken and we get to come here today to take it and to be reminded, to recognize, to remember the good God we serve. And may that be the same reminder that we take every day for the rest of our lives.